yeah, just any impulsive stuff. It was, I always remember that Christmas dinner, I'd be impulsive, wind my brothers up, get in a fight, or just annoy people, not really thinking about that. And I remember like being told by multiple family members, oh, you've ruined Christmas, you've ruined Christmas. But what they don't see is the memory of whatever impulsive thing I did is gone, but the shame and guilt of you've ruined Christmas, I still think of that at the age of 36. Welcome ladies and gentlemen, I'm your host Matt Brown and you're listening to the Every L Podcast. Each episode we'll have a different guest come on and talk about when life hands you an L, is it really a loss or is it something else? Because not every L is a loss. So sit back, relax or do whatever you guys do to get comfortable as we get into this. Let's go. Welcome everyone to another episode of Every Year Podcast, where every episode we have a different guest come on and talk about a situation where they've gone through something, they were hoping or anticipated to go a certain way because they planned it to go that way, but then all of a sudden life goes left instead of right and left them feeling some sort of way. This is something I believe is quite common with a lot of us where we've planned our life to work out. Like it could be a case of we've gone to school, we've studied, we've gone to university, got ourselves on a holy per debt. And next thing you know, we're working a job that doesn't require that degree. And then we've got a mountain full of debt and our income is just not justifying the investment we made. That's potentially an L for some folks. Other times it may not be the case, but it's all about perspective and how it impacts the individual personally. I'm fortunate enough to be surrounded by a number of amazing, incredible individuals. And this guest is no exception. He is a fantastic individual who I've known for a while now. We don't talk as frequently as maybe I've spoken to other folks, but the work he does, how candid he is, what he does, and it's just... This, the thing he's going to talk about is something that I personally am invested in and would like to know more about. But I just love the fact that he's not shy to talk about it. Some people would consider this to be a bit of a stigma, something that they don't want to talk about for a number of reasons, which I'm sure he'll touch on. But I'm just so humbled and grateful that he is the way he is, that he's so forthcoming with it, he's so eloquent with it, and is just willing to help change the narrative around this particular thing that he's so passionate about and champions. But without going on for too long, I have the fantastic Jacob, who's an amazing individual. Before I continue, I'm going to ask him to introduce himself. But what I've recently been doing, and I will continue doing, is because I'm mindful there are people that are potentially visually impaired, I like to not only introduce a person based on what their characteristics are in terms of what they do and so forth like that, but also potentially just give a very loose description of what they look like, just so the listeners have an idea of who the individual is. So for instance, I I'm a black male. I'm six foot three. I'm hella attractive. I'm saying that because I'm trying to keep my wife on her toes if I'm on <laughs> you. Um, but yeah, as ever you feel to describe yourself, please share. Um, yeah, I'm, so I'm Jacob. I'm five foot ten, white, um, slim build. Uh, I've got sort of shade skinhead and I'd say that's about me. Yeah, nice smile. People say I've got a nice smile, nice eyes. You do indeed. And then do you want me to do a little introduction about me? Yeah, man. Please introduce yourself and what you do. My name is Jacob Kelly. So I'm uh, born and bred Bristolian. Um, my normal sort of day-to-day job, I work as a community mental health practitioner. So I support people in the community that are struggling with first episode psychosis. Um, and then I've got a couple of little other little side hustles. So I work also on a um, mental health mother and baby unit where I run a dad support group. I work a lot with the mums on the unit. Um, and then I've got a couple of other little things. So I'll do some podcasts. I'll do some public speech, speaking events and stuff like that. So I normally talk about my experiences of postnatal depression after the birth of my son. And then also talk and share my experiences of ADHD, which I was diagnosed aged 14. Um, a big part of like what we're probably going to be talking about a lot today is sort of about how... I held on to a lot of that shame and guilt and stigma and then from meeting other people that have got lived experience that sort of went and uh, now I sort of live a life where I'm shame and guilt free 
because of uh, from my ADHD and postnatal depression. And yeah, I'm in a happy place. Probably the happiest I've I've been in a long time. I was saying this to my wife. This is probably the happiest I think I've ever been in my life. Um, so yeah, and that's taken a lot of hard work and a lot of loss and a lot of difficult experiences. So yeah, and that's what I suppose we're going to talk a lot about today. And that's fantastic. And I'm so happy that she's here for it. Like the happiest you've ever been. Mm. She's been a part of that. And that is, yeah, that's incredible. So the first L you said you wanted to talk about was ADHD. Now, I, now let's see, can I remember what ADHD stands for? Attention Deficit mm-hmm. Hyper. No, yeah. I, I, I feel like I've lost it now. I've fallen off a cliff now, Drax. <laughs> Attention Deficit Hyperactive Disorder. Hy- oh, hyperactivity Disorder. Go. There we go. Yeah, I did not because of hyperactivity. I was like, that's two words. I was like, no, 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 that's no, yeah, one. Yeah. yeah. So something like that, I'm learning more and more as time progresses, starting to feel that I, I show a lot of traits of it. I know I do. But given my age, I am not a priority. We've had this conversation. Um, and you said you found out when you was 14, which to some could be quite late. Mm. However me being a grown adult as I am saying that's hella early but I'm mindful that our cultures are slightly different Mm. so I'm interested to understand what your journey looked like how how you felt about that diagnosis and how that impacted your identity so please go back to where you feel it's relevant to start and to share what happened there yeah, so I like I remember obviously back then the knowledge on ADHD was very little. Even the knowledge, so I I was diagnosed a lot, probably about eight or nine with uh, dyslexia. So even the knowledge around dyslexia was poor, and that was you know I remember struggling with reading, and and that was the focus on everything. Probably I had ADHD traits, but it was amalgamated into this is dyslexia. So unable to sort of concentrate, uh, struggles with like my anger, temper, just completely unable to focus. And then very, you know, I went to a school that wasn't very good. And I think if I would have stayed there, I don't think, I generally don't think it would have been picked up just because there wasn't much representation. There wasn't many young children being diagnosed then. And it only sort of happened really because I moved schools to a better school, but the Senko at that school had just done training on ADHD. My mum's best friend's son had just been diagnosed. So she was like, oh, well, there." she could see it like black and white. So she could see, oh, I was very similar to him. And the stories that she would hear from a friend were very similar to her experiences with me. So that, like now, so thankful that I got my diagnosis at that age. And I've spoken to teachers since, like primary school teachers, who taught me. And uh, they sent me some of my old reports that some of them, randomly, some of them have kept. And then one did a statement. And like, there was stuff that I just can't, couldn't remember. I didn't realize I was one to one for most of my primary school years. And they were just like, all the stuff they said in the report was all symptoms of ADHD. But obviously back then, even they will say, you know, they just thought this was symptoms of dyslexia. And my sort of journey with ADHD didn't really, there wasn't, it was very, once I was on the medication, so I was given medication at 14, because I was so unable to concentrate, focus, like really live happy content life you know it was was a lot of like arguments a lot of things I was unable to do once I started on the meds things changed and like it was yeah it was a game changer really for for my out my opportunities in life and sort of where I would probably end up Uh, I think generally if I wouldn't have started on meds my outcomes and my career progression and you know just outcomes generally with kids or wife just wouldn't be I wouldn't be married I wouldn't have two kids I wouldn't have a job if it weren't for medication I know for it's not for everyone but for me as a young boy like I just one example I remember doing my GCSEs and not taking my meds and I got kicked out after 10 minutes 
next day I remembered to take my meds and I stayed for the whole like two hours, finished my exam. So it was really that chalk and cheese, the difference. But really like, I think with ADHD, I hadn't really, I, I was content of taking the medication and being told that was the fix. And I remember being told when I got my diagnosis, they were like, uh, you'll be on meds for the rest of your life. This is a long lasting mental health condition. And, uh, that's it basically and I remember just thinking like well I don't feel like I've got a mental health condition I don't feel like I'm mentally unwell they didn't have such thing as neurodiversity then so you were classes it was class as a mental health uh, condition all my visits would have to go to community mental health buildings Um, so there was a lot of shame a lot of guilt and stigma no one knew like a few maybe a handful of classmates knew Obviously, teachers knew, no, like a couple of family members knew, but there was, it was a real big thing that I didn't talk about it. And that lasted up to the age of like probably 25, even relationships I had been in, didn't tell them. I remember like secretly taking tablets on the secret, and uh, that, that stigma was rife because I, there was no such thing as like ADHD representation. There's no one I could look at as, as a role model or to look up to and go, they're going through what I'm going. So, like, it was real different. And then the, the change came. There's a couple of things just luckily in life. My wife was pregnant with my daughter, and we were like, well, I'll, I'll look up, you know, what what it's like. There must be some books on uh, dads with ADHD, like, and there was nothing. There was no books about or, or parents talking about what it's like to be a parent with ADHD. There was loads of stuff about being a parent of children with ADHD, but there's nothing I remember just thinking, this is terrible. Like, this is useless. Like, I, I'm just going in blind. And so I was like, well, I don't want this feeling for anyone else. So I'll start writing little, like, top tips for the first trimester, second trimester, third trimester, and then start saying stuff on Twitter. And then when my daughter was born, she was the first girl to be born in our family in, like, 85 years. So I was like, oh, like, uh, I know ADHD can sometimes be prominent in the children. I'll do some research in ADHD and girls and it was just nothing there this is like now in the world we live in now it's like huge ADHD and girls back even six years ago there's nothing no representation there's a couple of people online but they're older and so I started doing more research and going okay there's loads of like inequality here for girls with ADHD and started doing stuff and then it just happened like I don't really know how but um the ADHD service I was under uh, I also, they're under the same mental health trust that I work for. And they were like, oh, we're doing an ADHD event. Would you be up for doing a talk? I was like, yeah, it's fine. And then I went to the event and it was an ADHD sort of conference, but it was attended by some like 200 ADHD people in Bristol. And that was really like the first time I'd ever met an adult or anyone with ADHD knowingly. And so from going from no one, to be in a room of 200 I was like oh my god like it was just like one of the best experiences of my life it was there's nothing that can describe it really it's just like being with people that are like you that have been through the pain that you've been through and that you can just talk about the the horrible bits but then laugh about it because you've both been through it and that was the game changer I was like I like this feeling of knowing more people with ADHD so then started going and going yeah, it was a it was a game changer really, and like a lot of the work I do now, sort of on social media, but not really advertised, sort of behind the scenes. I get a lot of messages from like parents, particularly mums of children with ADHD, and they'll say, "I don't know, uh, my son's got ADHD. He's really struggling. What tips would you recommend, or what would you recommend?" And one thing I've always tried to do, if I can, I'll say, like, "What do they like doing?" And so. For example, one came to me, I think, a year ago. And she said, oh, my son loves playing football. He's seven. He's in an academy. loves playing football. And I thought, well, when I was seven, I would have loved to have met an ADHD footballer. I would have loved to see that. At the time, there was no out, like, um, publicly ADHD professional footballers. So, luckily, I had some contacts and a few people asked around and found one who hadn't come out publicly but wanted to help in some way. So we chatted, and then that footballer had a chat with the mum and sent some videos to the kids. And uh, 
And then it went from that, and that parent absolutely loved that and found it so helpful. I was like, let's do more of that. So there's we've done it a few other times. So we've got there's a couple of people I've got in different industries that sometimes will do videos. So there's uh, an amazing professional boxer called Ben Whitaker, who is an Olympian. He did a video for a young 17-year-old boy who was struggling sort of with that sort of identity of ADHD and the shame that comes with it. And sort of the sometimes feeling like maybe like emasculated because you've got ADHD. So to hear uh, Olympic professional boxer go, I've got ADHD, you know, you can do it. We're the strong ones and all this. It just smashes all that stigma. So that's something I like doing. It's, it's, I wouldn't say it's easy, but, and the more and more I work with sort of ADHD people in the public eye, I think the, the word has got around. So some people have come to me and so there's someone I'm working with at the moment who I can't say too much, but they're in the public eye and they play professional sport and they represent their country in that professional sport and they want to disclose like publicly about their ADHD. So I'm working with them to support them, how they do it in a way that is comfortable for them. So that's a lot of the stuff I do sort of with the ADHD, but a big part of it was the power of peer-to-peer experience and meeting others that have been through that ADHD and then go actually that it is really normal so like now I would say like my the people I follow on social media I mainly only follow people with lived experience um, of some sort of either ADHD or depression or trauma um, I don't really follow celebrities unless there's a link there so that means really like then I'm surrounded by like all this every day I just see positive stories or or just stories of hope or ADHD uh, and then it makes for me it's then changed my view on representation and how like important it is so that yeah that's a big part of the work I do on ADHD is around that sort of stuff but I think if I look back at little Jacob uh, back in the day I think it was a lonely you know, unwelcoming, there was no love for ADHD, no representation. And um, I hold that sort of negative traumatic experience quite close to me because if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't have ended up sort of where I am now. Uh, So I wouldn't go back and change. I I definitely wouldn't change it. I wouldn't go back keenly. But I think because of those traumatic bits and like the moments of just being a loner sort of going through childhood early adulthood I think that's made me sort of uh, resilient to sort of where I am now I think that's interesting to hear that especially with the part and I'm I'm going to touch on something more recently that you've said and then go back to earlier stage that's all right so you mentioned about how being surrounded by so many people who had ADHD how it just felt it was nice to be around people. Mm. I would assume, and please correct me if I'm wrong, it's similar to just having people that just get it. Yeah. You're, like when you go to a comedy show and everyone in the room is just laughing at the same joke. Yeah, yeah. People just get it. Oh, do you remember when you were younger and this happened? Yeah, we're laughing because we all get exactly, it. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. now, instead of you thinking, reacting, having these traits that not everyone has, could feel isolating but all Mm. of a sudden the majority of folks are like yeah that it wasn't even i can i guess i get that but it doesn't matter no 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 that is a thing that is a bona fide thing we 100 percent. yeah that's a thing that is what we do Mm. and if you was lonely growing up and you felt that way then this must have felt like where have you been all my life (laughs) yeah 100 percent. like like now so last well, it must be earlier this year I went to watch. Uh, so after the professional footballer we worked with, we managed to find three others. So there's four, there's now five uh, that I'm aware of, but I know there's loads more. But So I did some work with four of them. One of them I'm just about to start some work with. But I actually went to watch one of them play football professionally and it was like reverting to a child. I was like, there's not, I, he wasn't playing for a team I support. I had no real links to his team but it was something about knowing it was yeah it was mad it was like I was a child I was like 
that's my boy like he's smashing <laughs> it and like every little thing he was doing i was watching and mesmerized and i said that is the power of representation that is the power of going someone you know i'd love to say people look at me and go oh yeah it's like but there's something about someone in prominent positions or in the public eye that it 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 just gets people a bit more so to see a professional footballer um playing you know i know young jacob would have loved that and uh so it's something i love to do more like i've gone to see a few uh professional sports people perform in their different fields and i absolutely love it i love seeing them perform i love like seeing it just feels like is it i don't know it maybe because i'm in like the ADHD community, I'm like an old hag because you know most of them are quite uh, young, newly diagnosed. You know, I've, 20 years I've been diagnosed, so like now I do I look at it probably a lot differently than some of the younger ones or the people with newer diagnosis. I see like the power of more now, like giving back to younger ADHD people as well as like you know people my age. But I think there's so much to be done for younger ADHD kids. So like when I'm seeing like professionals coming out, sharing their experiences, I'm like, yeah, you know, I would have loved that as a child. Like I was saying the other day, I used to love wrestling and I noticed, so there's a brand called AEW in America and uh, their world champions got ADHD and did a like promo where he talked about his ADHD. And I was like, I would have been absolutely, I would have been in tears as a 13 year old boy seeing the world champion talking about his experiences of ADHD. And I know that brand, like after I found him, I was like, oh, there's like four others that have talked about their experiences of ADHD. So just having different, in different fields. So like there's like, when we talk about representation, representation in in all fields, in all areas of race, sexuality, all these different uh, areas is so important. But like, so for example, ADHD, I can't name, I couldn't, for for me, I talk to a lot of people with ADHD, I couldn't name one black British ADHD male. Maybe, maybe one, but couldn't, couldn't name any like unfamous or like people doing content. Uh, I just couldn't name it. And and that there's no representation for that because I know I've looked for it. I've looked to try and find more representation of, uh, mainly british black male adhders and it's it's uh and so that stuff like for me i'm like you know that poor representation is still there it might not be there for white young boys but for young black boys growing up in england there's still no representation for adhd in the public eye there's probably uh maybe two two people that can think of two singers and maybe Labyrinth, maybe, uh, yeah, two or three, but not enough. I think there's a part of me that remembers what it was like for me and knowing actually there's still a lot to be done. There's amazing, you know, there's other groups, I think, there's a charity called ADHD Babes and they are an amazing female only charity that work with black and ethnic minority group and they are an amazing charity do amazing groups for women but and I even said to them I was like do you know any males and they were like nope there's none and and what is it about that that we're struggling with that I, I, I can I can have I know culturally there's some differences of like I know faith comes into a big part of it. I've spoken to a lot of people from those groups and they're saying when they were growing up, they were from religious backgrounds. I know Labyrinth talks on the diary of a CEO about his upbringing was a very uh, Christian faith religion. And so the idea of ADHD back then just wouldn't have been a thing. And so that's very different to my upbringing. So there's still work to be done. Um, But yeah, that's a big part of why I do that. I think that representation in all areas is so important. I agree. And you're right, there is a lot of uh, disparity in the representation in that area. And it is important to have that 
at the forefront, hence why I have different guests, uh, male, women, however they identify from different places all over the world, wherever I can, just because I want people to feel less alone. Mm. With yourself growing up and you was going through all that you was going through, did your parents make you feel that having ADHD was an issue? So I think when, when you become a parent, you look back at the way you were parented and go, that was good, that wasn't so good. And you question certain things like, oh, I wouldn't do that as a parent. Um, like now it's hard for me because I know there was nothing for them, like maybe the old book. So there's there's certain things that they did not knowing that probably I wouldn't do as a, as a parent now. So like a big thing... I would do would be impulsive. So a big thing would be like, I don't know. Yeah, just any impulsive stuff. So I always remember that Christmas dinner, I'd be impulsive, wind my brothers up, get in a fight or just annoy people, not really thinking about that. And I remember like being told by multiple family members, oh, you've ruined Christmas, you've ruined Christmas. But what they don't see is the memory of whatever impulsive thing I did is gone. But the shame and guilt of you've ruined Christmas I still think of that at the age of 36. So, like, and that is very common for ADHD children. Like, they'll do something, not know what they've done, be shouted at, and uh, they hold on to that. And that, Or sometimes they'll say hurtful things, calm down after the meltdown, and then they'll be sort of grieving and going through that process of trauma of, oh, my God, I've just said to my dad, I hate you, or you're ugly, or you're fat, or you're all these things. They just because they say it and at that time they're not showing that, that emotion or um, ability to reason or understand what they're saying is hurtful, they will, once they've calmed down or through their life, they will hold that. Um, and there's stuff I said that was horrendous. And I have to hold, like, it's like, the best, closest I can describe it is like, you know when you go on a night out and you get so drunk and then you're like, oh, you've said something or you've done something and you have no control in it. That's is what it's like. But imagine doing that when we're adults. It's okay because we're adults. We, we understand actually this is a process and we can apologize. But going through that like from the age of, say, seven up, we do that enough, it's going to affect someone's well-being, self-esteem, which definitely did with me. Um but yeah, they never like, never said. I can never remember them being like, seeing it as an issue. It was never like sold as a superpower or anything like that. But it was never sold as like, I'm different. It was in there was good bits and bad bits. In some ways, like we just didn't, never really mentioned it. And in some ways, that helped. You know, looking back now, you know, I don't know if I would do that thing, but. I've ended up pretty good compared to other like the statistics where most ADHD men go, which is the prison system. Um, so I, I said this to my dad the other day, like we're talking about, you know, actually we know the end, the ending of this story is that actually I ended up in a good situation. I've married two kids, but yeah, there's certain things that probably didn't help. Um, but there's things that my mum instilled that nothing to do with ADHD it's just good parenting of like fighting for the rights of your child so she always any stuff I was in trouble with for my impulsivity or dyslexia mainly my impulsivity she always fought for me and always went the extra mile and like always was a fantastic advocate for my ADHD behind the scenes and that probably influenced me in the work I do now in mental health so I think that's like the thing that I sometimes underestimate, like what she probably did behind the scenes, less my dad because my mum brought me up, but like, uh, yeah, behind the scenes, what she did of being an advocate for me and and it feeling pretty normal. I, you know, I had two older brothers who probably at times to, would make jokes about my ADHD, but it was never a big joke. Like it was never like a recurrent joke. It would be like very. I'm going to name maybe three times in my life that they said something which, you know, that was like the lowest of blows if you said it or something about ADHD. So it just wasn't said. And I, like now that you know, I can look back at and be thankful of that, really. I think my mum probably looks back and thinks, 
could things be different? But realistically, the education just wasn't there. So she, I think she did a great job, really, with limited resources and educational information available. How did it feel when you're struggling to understand the words or the letters that are placed in front of you because of your dyslexia and then your attention span just isn't allowing you to kind of, I don't want to say push through, but sort of hang around long enough to try and get a handle on it. Yeah. I can imagine as an adult, because as an adult, it's frustrating enough as it is. But as a child, I can only imagine how infuriating that could have been. And then if you haven't got other adults that are creating a an environment where you're allowed to mm. have your outburst, to be you and react the way you need to just to get it out your system. How did that feel in those times, if you can remember? Yeah, like... Just like I, I said this to my wife, like, like obviously when you have kids, you worry, oh god, are they gonna have ADHD, dyslexia? You just have naturally have those concerns. And I remember, like, before my kids were born, I said to my wife, like, I genuinely would rather any of my kids have ADHD than dyslexia, because I, for me, dyslexia was so dis, debilitating, especially at school where everything was like that. Um, you know, with ADHD, I had medication that really helped with my impulsivity and my, my focus, but there was no tablet to take for dyslexia. So I remember like back then they were brutal. Like they would say, Oh, can you stand up in the front of class and read this? And I'll just be like bright red, sweating. I hated it. And like, so now like, even at, like I'd say the medication I take, it helps, but it doesn't take the full impulsivity away or the, if anything, I would say now my medication, I've been on so long, they help with the impulsivity, not so much with the distraction, little bits, but not so much. So I've never been able to finish a book, mainly because of dyslexia, but also because of the ADHD. Um, so like there's moments in life where everyone's reading like Harry Potter or certain books, and I just, I've tried it and lasted maybe like five or six pages. And that, so there's certain things where, it's been, yeah, really tricky. And especially at school, that was, like, yeah, brutal. Like, absolutely brutal. There's no way of, like, no quicker way of shaming the child <laughs> than telling him to read in front of everyone and he can't read. Like, uh, it's a very basic way of going, this guy's stupid. And there's no sort of alternatives, like, oh, yeah, but he might be dyslexia, but most architects are dyslexic. They didn't know that, that then. So they were just like, no, you're just dumb. Um, so yeah, it was brutal. And like, and the mix of ADHD and dyslexia is is it's not a nice mix. Um, like now, I'd say with the we've got technology to help. So like most of my messages, I'll do voice note. I can I can write and stuff like that, but it's so much easier doing voice notes. Um, or like I can most of the big texts at work, I'll copy and paste and just put them into a file where it will read it out to me. So. Luckily, technology's moved ahead, but back then, yeah, it was, it was hard. That's good. How how did you navigate those times when you felt, to use your words, stupid because you'd go bright red because of the you know lack of your inability to read mm. and that pressure situation? Did you react in a certain way? Did you become withdrawn? What did that look like? So mine was anger. Like a big thing with ADHD is also like inequality. So like if I've done something right that I feel is right and I'm being told it's wrong, that um, a sense of justice is a big thing with ADHD. Like it, like if there's inequalities or a sense of misjustice, you can like even now I I find it infuriating. It's something that really doesn't work well with me and so which is probably why I do so well in my job with fight being a great advocate for my clients and sort of putting myself in front of them to fly their flag sometimes but yeah back then it was anger I would just be like oh piss off sir and like storm out of the classroom or like just get out and uh my mom always said like if ever you lose your temper, just apologize straight away. Like you can't really be angry at someone who's apologizing. So like, I'll be like, yeah, sorry, 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 sorry. 
even though there was no like no no care and I really I didn't mean it at all but like um I was lucky in some ways I think teachers you know I, I remember taking in BB guns into school and like doing like being naughty but I think deep down they knew I was a good kid and they knew when they had me on on side I was caring kind but there were certain things I just weren't able to like hold it together because mo I think with some teachers it's 50-50 like some completely got me and they got the best out of me others didn't get me or get ADHD or dyslexia they got the worst out of me so I I know because I've spoken to teachers since <clears throat> there was sometimes conflict between teachers of how we treat this boy um because uh, some would go, oh, he's a kind guy. He just needs extra support. Others were like, no, he's a naughty boy. He's disrespectful. So I remember, like, one of the girls at school, she was like, her job in drama was to make the sets. And one of the tech teachers, the DT tech, had had a go at her, and he always had a go at her. And so I was like, she come in crying. I remember, like, being a 15 year old boy, like, no, nah, this is bang out of order. And now I was like, what the hell was I thinking? Going up to him, like, getting in his face and saying like, oh, if you want to pick on someone, pick on me, like, da-da-da, and like, fully committing to this, right, nah, he's made a little, like, a young girl cry, I'm going to stick up for this girl to this 37-year-old man who could have easily snapped me in half. But like, for me, it was that, like, that injustice of why would you do that? Why would you, like, what's the benefit? Um, and so, yeah, anger was a big one. Now I, I would say I manage my anger pretty well with getting it, my excess, like doing sports, that gets a lot of my anger out. Very, very rare, very rare I lose it. Uh, and what comes with when I lose it is probably one stupid decision, so it might be punching a wall or something like that. And then what is left is probably six months worth of shame and guilt of how did I let that happen? And that's just very rare it happens. And the only way it gets better is me doing education or research about ADHD and anger. Um, but I think that's the bit that people don't see, the, the, how a lot of ADHDers will hold on to those feelings for, you know, a long time. A big thing I used to do was, like, I would say something impulsively, probably something, like, inappropriate or just stupid or, like, rude. And then... I'll be thinking about it for weeks. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have said that. And the only way it goes is if I go up to a person and just go, this is why I said it. I struggle. And then once I explain it, they go, oh, okay. Okay. So I, I, I'm taking a lot away from this and I'm, I find it very interesting, but you've covered a lot of bases. What I'm going to ask you is, and I know you said that if you went back in time, you wouldn't change anything, stuff like that. That sound is what it is. But assuming you could go back in time mm. and everything remained intact, when would you go back in time to, if I said, go back to your darkest time, your more, most challenging time where you just felt like I can't, I can't keep going. It's, I'm sick and tired of all this drama and being treated a certain way or feeling a certain way. When was that? And what would you say to your younger self to just encourage yourself to keep mm. going forward? Within ADHD, I suppose it would be like probably like that early teens where I'm starting to like care about girls and sort of like care about like how girls see me or that sort of puberty area area around like yeah how people see me because my self esteem was poor like I was I, I seemed confident and chatty and, and loud and that a lot of that was probably the ADHD. But really, I was quite insecure, you know, a lot of, like, stigma around, like, the tablets and stuff like that. Oh, no one's going to... I remember someone saying to me, uh, a very close friend of mine, he was like, look, if there's two Jacobs, one Jacob without ADHD and one Jacob with ADHD, the girl's going to go with the one without because no one's going to love a guy with ADHD. Not knowing how brutal that was. And I was like, oh, shit, I'm, like, I'm, I'm screwed. And... Um, so I'd go back to that point and just say to him, look, things end up well. You end up, you know, marrying, like, the like, one love of your life. You end up having two beautiful kids. But also, you end up meeting so many other people, ADHDers. You get to work with professional footballers, sports people, musicians. And 
they respect you not just like they respect you for your ADHD, not for who you are or like what you've achieved or any stuff like that for you as your young ADHD self. Um, yeah, I'll just turn that and just say, look, things, it will come to a stage where your ADHD, you see it as a positive. And I'm at a stage now where, you know, without my ADHD, I definitely wouldn't be in the job I'm in. I wouldn't be as uh, creative, um, passionate as I am. You know, I'm lucky my ADHD sort of thing I love. So everyone will have a thing. So it could be football, could be puzzles or whatever it is. Mine is helping people. And that's what I get a lot of passion from. Uh, And I'm very lucky that I get to do that as as a paid job so it ticks all my dopamine hits all my dopamine triggers and so i'm able to do like i get quick dopamine hits and i get to do it as a job um not everyone is lucky enough to find that so yeah that's what i tell them like it will end up well and you are you end up very happy with two cute kids that's that's positive do you think like how old would you be at that time would you say 15 yeah, 14, 15. Okay, do you think 14 slash 15-year-old Jacob would listen to what you said? Because you said it very eloquently. Yeah, I think he would. I think, like, back then, uh, I was desperate for older male role models. So this young boy that had ADHD that was a family friend, he was the only representation I had. And uh, he was a lovely guy. And... uh from an amazing family and uh he sadly later passed away but um yeah i think i was desperate for a role model desperate for some sort of father figure older role model so i think he would have bit my hand off to be honest that's fantastic so i guess it's case in point that representation is important Mm. so if we're gonna say or not we if you're gonna say that wasn't an L, as in your ADHD. Yeah. What are you calling that? What is my ADHD? Yeah. Um, because some people might say having ADHD is a loss. But in yeah. this instance, from what you've described, you've gained so much from it yeah. that what are you now calling it? What is it? I would say it's a, it's an ability to share something really special with a small group of people. So like, like only the real people in my family get to see the real ADHD Jacob, the real like <laughs> bonkersness that comes with it. Uh, and that is extreme. You know, I can, my wife will say that is extremely hard at times, but when she gets to see little like sparks of the good stuff, the gold dust that comes with ADHD, the let's get in the back of the car, let's just get in the car and go to the circus for the day or let's go to the beach or, let you know, I've spent six hours hyper-focused and made this amazing treehouse for the kids. Um, haven't had a sip of water or gone to the toilet for six hours, but I managed to do this. Uh, when they get to see those, like, snippets of gold dust and they appreciate it and love you, love you for that bit, but also love you for the Jacob who's dancing at seven o'clock in the evening after the kids go to bed and all that craziness. Yeah, I think if you get someone that gets you, um, it's special. That's good. Did you ever think that you would be able to meet someone who could accept you for who you are. No. <laughs> with all of all of what you've got going on. Nah, no. Nah. Like my genuine like goals as a young child and like teenage early years was like I remember being six eighteen, my first sort of proper job, I was like, right, I wanna be the youngest pub owner at twenty one. And my life would be living in a pub for the rest of my life, working horrible shifts, never owning my house or having a car or nothing. But that was a genuine, like, I actually dreamt, like, I was like, I want that. That was a dream. Like, now I can't imagine anything worse. Um, 
and like there was no I always wanted kids I was very paternal from a very young age but no thoughts about ever gonna have kids I was like nah no one's gonna want kids or like it just wasn't even on the idea of having kids or have owning a house or owning a car like it just wasn't even on the cards so like to have all those things I'm like how is this even possible like that I've sort of ended up you know not too bad from a like working class poor kid who was on free school dinners you know I'd lived in poverty to where I am now I'm uh yeah, it's crazy. I, my brother said to me, he's like, you're middle class now, you own your own house. And I was like, that's bonkers. I said, I'm not, I'm still working class to the core. But uh, but yeah, like that, for me, it just wasn't even, yeah. The idea of marrying someone that loved me for my ADHD. Like, I remember she, we moved house and uh, I found a stack of books, of ADHD books. I was like, what the hell is this? And what she had been doing is like l- learning about ADHD secretly. I was like, no, I've got this is the one now. Someone that's willing to learn those like and what I, one of the books was like how to organize your house if you live with someone in ADHD. So like certain ways, there's certain ways like to help with clutter. So like it's most basic stuff of just like all the knives go here, the forks go here, and, like everywhere has a place and they stay in those places. But uh the fact that she had read that book like page to page and basically organize our house in an ADHD-friendly way without even telling me. I was like, yeah, this is a keeper for me. That's lovely. That is, it sounds super stupid, but um, years ago when my wife and I were dating at the time, we were going out, um, I told her I liked this movie, was it Scorpion King? And everyone's probably thinking the one with a rock in it. And it wasn't. It was a martial arts film. Okay. But she went and got it for me on DVD. Yes, people, DVD, shut up. It went and got it for me on DVD. And now you're like, yeah, this one's serious because they're not yeah. they're not just looking at a surface level. They've gone the, below the yeah, layers deep. and are really into you as an individual. So I think that is absolutely powerful. Now, I'm very mindful there's a second that you want to talk about, but that one to me is very close to my heart. Mm. And if you're keen to jump back on, I'm happy to have you back on to talk about that at length because I have some unique questions I'd like to ask around it. But following on from this, Actually, do I get you buying that you're going to come back on for another episode? Yeah, yeah, I'll definitely come back on. Everyone's heard now that you said you're going to jump back <laughs> on again, so no no backseat. With, with the fact that your now wife did all that stuff, is there anything in particular you felt that those in your circle of friends, family and other, whatever, however you want to describe the circle itself, is there anything you feel that they could have done differently to be more accommodating to your condition? Yeah, I think like, yeah, I only know about the books that my wife had because I found the books. I think I know no one in my family did any read. Well, I wasn't aware of any of the family doing any reading or education. I'm sure my mum probably did some. But there's something about growing up wanting to know that, like knowing that, like the story I say about my wife is is nice because I find out. It's nice because I'm like, oh God, she knows me. And so as a young kid, I would have liked to have known that they were doing that research because then you're like, okay, they care about me and they learned, they want to learn, they want to know more about this thing that I'm going through. At times it felt like I was going through it on my own. Uh, and no, you know, I remember going to a lot of appointments on my own sometimes and like being still quite young and yeah. So like if I could go back, I'd just say, look, if you're doing that stuff, let him know. Cause he wants to know that you're, and if you're not doing it, maybe start doing it and let him know. So like, I know my dad didn't do none of that. He didn't do no, like, even now, you know, if I say to him, what, have, you know, I've been diagnosed with it for 20 years. If I say, what have I'm diagnosed with you? He'd be like A A B C D A B is it A B C D D? Yeah, he's never gone. What is it actually like going through it? Is it debilitating? Is it? Yeah, he never asked me any of those questions. And I don't know if that's a generational thing or just a older man thing of just being brought up of that way of men don't talk about their emotions and feelings or like yeah maybe I don't know you just don't talk about it. Um, so 
yeah, maybe I would have, I would have wanted them to do a bit more research or just reading stuff and let me know that they're doing that. Question. When the first job you got, did you declare that you had ADHD? No. No, I remember, well, the first couple, like, no one knew. And then I worked in loads of pubs, clubs, no one knew. And then I can't remember what, I worked in a nursing home, which was terrible nursing home, like, awful. And I must have, like, told one of someone, I think I told them I had ADHD. They didn't have a clue what it was. And maybe I, I slipped. Oh, like, oh, I just, I had to pick my meds up on the way, put them in a locker or something like that. And then... Back then, they were controlled drugs, and they were like, you've took, brought controlled drugs onto a, onto a nursing home, and they should have been locked away. Yeah, officially, possibly, but and that was a big thing. And so, and I was made to feel like a piece of shit. So I, I didn't tell, and then when I went to mental health, didn't tell them. And it was only, I'd been working in mental health maybe eight years on loads of different units. I started a job, and it, on the interview, they had someone who had had lived experience of psychosis and he had shared a bit about him so it just naturally came out uh and they didn't say nothing about it and i was like okay this seems all right and they literally didn't make a thing of it they were like oh, okay cool um and then because i wasn't asking for any reasonable adjustments or anything then um and then because they were cool with it my confidence grew with it and then like now I'd say everyone in my building knows they know I've got ADHD, and that's because you know I've sent a lot of resources out. But that that was because it was nurtured well. Um, but yeah, the first couple of ones, no way, like because it was I was still going. You know, a lot of people, the stigma is still pretty high in the community. Like if you're working in like certain industries, you will be treated differently if you say what ADHD, unfortunately. Is there any accommodations that are made for you because of your ADHD? Yeah, I get away with probably a little bit more. <laughs> so, like, uh, in the workplace. So, I always say, like, my ADHD has to come out somewhere. So, before I had kids, my ADHD would come out at home. And at work, I was pretty sensible. In the office, pretty sensible. Definitely with my clients, very sensible. Uh, now I've got kids, I've got to hold it together a bit more at home. So I'm sensible at home within reason, sensible with my clients, but in the office, that's when it all comes out, unfortunately. So there's certain things that are just a bit more impulsive and I'm better at managing it now. So it might be like getting off the phone with someone, you know, another practitioner, another colleague maybe uh, who hasn't given me a good, like the conversation's not very well. Most people hang that up where I'll be like hang it up fucking fuck. a lot of swearing sometimes uh and they understand because nine times out of ten once it's calmed down i'm like sorry i'm so sorry sorry yeah so it definitely comes out they are they're a bit more accommodating with that and other things they're probably more accommodating with like but more it the main thing is impulsivity around doing stuff because nine times out, the good bit is nine times out of ten they know I will come to the conclusion myself. It just takes a little bit of time. And sometimes I'll be like very uh, just frustrated at the system or certain things and it might come out like that. But nine times out of ten, nine times out of ten, it will be impulsive stuff like, yeah, just stupid stuff. Like on a Friday afternoon, we'll just be messing about or, yeah, let's throw paper airplanes downstairs and like at the manager's, office or knock out ginger and stuff like that uh, which unfortunately in mental health this the job is so strict like so stressful that culture does come out anyway so i'm quite lucky there's other personalities in those offices that you know we are very professional with our clients and very professional with our staff but sometimes if you've had a day of working with in severe stressful traumatic experiences you just need sometimes to go oh let's just talk about some stupid jokes or do something stupid so when i worked on the ward we get away with yeah hiding in cupboards and stuff like that and yeah murder back then like now when you think of some of the stuff we got up to is you couldn't get away with it now that's good so interestingly enough you said something and i was like oh want to ask you a question about it and it was the fact that when 
it came out that you had ADHD in your most recent employment and they just kind of didn't make it a thing. What would you rather, and I'm I'm aware this could change depending on the situation, who you're speaking to and stuff like that, but would you rather someone talk to you about your ADHD once they found out, let's assume you've mentioned it yeah, in passing, yeah. would you want them to then have a conversation around it or would you rather them continue and just acknowledge it but don't make it an issue? Now I'm pretty like open. Like I, I like welcome any question. Uh, nine times out of ten, people that are asking me questions are either got their own experiences or a friend or a family member is affected by ADHD. So they generally want to know um, like certain things. It's very rare that someone asks me questions because they don't have a link in some way. Um, they just don't ask me these questions. I think they worry, they're worried they're going to say something like that's going to upset me. But uh, yeah, no, I'm pretty open to it now. I'll, I'll always ask, like let people ask me questions because sometimes they, you know, I imagine some people might not have met someone with ADHD, so they might have heard some terrible rumors or terrible uh, ill-informed like facts that aren't facts so sometimes i like to let them know like what the truth is around certain things so a lot of one thing i get a lot is oh um it's from normally parents without like who don't know anything about adhd they'll say oh no it's too young to diagnose a child with adhd when they're like five or six and it's too young we just got to let them and I, i'm very open i say look the evidence shows the gold standard is five to eight the longer you leave it after eight, the more impact, negative impact it has on that child's mental health outcomes. Uh, we know that because that's what the facts and the data shows. So you might feel it's too young, but the data is telling us the longer we're leaving it, this is having a massive impact negatively on their uh, mental health outcomes. So, uh, yeah, sometimes I, I let them know if, if they're coming out with some rubbish or like, or they just heard the wrong information and they might, you know, I think some people, if you've never been involved in ADHD, the idea, you know, you know, you hear, uh, oh yeah, eight year olds being medicated with ADHD, a five year olds being medicated with ADHD, like, oh, it's too young, whatever. Well, you know, see what it's like for that five year old. You know, I, I was chatting to a parent today who's six year old, just started medication. She said like, he's like a different child in a, in a positive way. Before he was just crying all the time, unhappy, fighting, and now he's able to like live and be happy. And she said he's so happy. He's got friends. He's at school. He's able to stay at school. You know, for him, medication has been a lifeline. You know, and I know it's not the same for everyone else. So I don't. I don't think those those parents that have the negative uh, outlook see those stories. I think they're used to seeing the negative ones appreciate it just love your honesty and i love how eloquent you are in explaining such topics that a lot of people consider stigma and i'm very fortunate in the sense that i am just very inquisitive i like to know more about what i don't know so i can try and be more inclusive be more mindful and try and help people and for those people that don't know i suspect i probably have hhd i have no idea i do feel that a lot of the traits i hear about i can relate to but i have I have that ability to relate to a lot of things I hear mm. anyway. So unfortunately, because of my age, it's not always as forthcoming with, hmm, maybe you do have that. It's it's kind of like I'm at the bottom of the waiting, waiting pack. And I get that. It's it, waiting this way. And I get that. But I'm sharing this because I was thinking, um, should I share this? But why am I going to encourage other people to shine a light on things that people are scared to? And then I'm not going to be open and honest with you guys on here because that's just not fair. So I will hopefully, with the help of Jacob and other people, find out if I have ADHD or if not that, something else because at some point it felt like I was probably on the spectrum because I can get very lost in things I'm doing I can be hyper focused I can go hours upon end without going to the toilet I can go hours of, <laughs> on end mm. with just doing whatever it is some people don't even know there's times where I've spoken to someone in an interview like recorded a session like this and by the end of that day I've edited the whole episode done a trailer done all the yeah. everything for it and 
I it doesn't burn me out. I enjoy mm. it. Yeah. And because of my culture, it's never really been looked at as a thing. It's not been considered as a thing. And that's where I'd like to break it. But right now, I don't know if I do. I'm just saying I'm on this journey. And if anyone wants to inquire to find out what my journey looks like, feel free to reach out to me and find out. Uh, you can probably find me on Instagram, to be fair. But of, overall, well, which is every other podcast. But other than that, I, I just want to be open and honest about that fact and say I'm trying to find out. And I've got three beautiful babies who may have it. I don't know. But irrespective, I'm happy to love on them and support them in whatever way I can. And that just means by paying attention to them and trying to support them, hopefully through having conversations like this, I'm learning more about what I can do to be more of an ally, to be more supportive mm. and not just make assumptions when there is facts and data and ongoing research in these areas. I want to thank you for everything you've said, everything you shared and how something that had a massive stigma over it and still to this day kind of does that you didn't allow it to limit you didn't allow it to hinder your ability to achieve the things that were beyond your wildest dreams and that I think will hopefully give people hope and just dare to dream to know that there is a chance that they could lead a fulfilled life where whether that means they're in a relationship, whether it means they have a job, whether it means that they're a professional sports person, whether that means whatever it is to them, the fact that it is possible and not just for people with ADHD, people with dyslexia as well, just because you are wired a certain way doesn't necessarily mean that's the only things you're going to achieve are this, this and this. This is so much more than that, and I just find people are beautiful individuals. I, I consider us as all different pieces of a jigsaw puzzle, and sometimes we just the reason why we don't thrive as much as we could do because we're just we just don't know where we fit in, and until we find out where we fit in, we're just not going to be satisfied. And I just love hearing what you've done for the next two minutes. Could I ask you to please? selfishly and unapologetically plug anything and everything you got going on and where people can find you if they want to learn more and hopefully learn more about ADHD. Yeah, sure. Uh, so I'm on Instagram and Twitter. So I'm uh, at ADHD Father UK. Um, yeah, definitely. If you've got any questions, message me on that. Hopefully the next sort of 12, 8 months i'm hoping to do a podcast series myself with bbc about adhd so uh fingers crossed that will come out so yeah there's a couple of things i've got in the woodwork that um will be out in the next sort of couple of months but yeah if you want to message me on instagram it's probably the best way and there's a couple of other things on there so yeah message me on there so top guy an amazing guy and I'll encourage every single person to reach out to him. All his details and stuff will be in the show notes. So feel free to reach out to wherever possible. But I honestly thank you for the time today for jumping on and sharing what you did. Um, wish I had more time to talk to you about ADHD, but I think it's important that we that you shared a lot. But I think that because you're so eloquent and so passionate about what you do, I think it would do you a disservice by going over the top of what we share here i would rather people to reach out to you and to have that conversation and continue the conversation with you amongst all the other amazing things you do because it is so important that we do we do try and normalize this yeah just just to add like um i'll be quick um if there's adults listening that are thinking they might have ADHD, there's a thing called psychiatry uk in the UK, so most NHS waiting lists are about three or four years. There's a thing called Psychiatry UK, which is basically like a private service, but uh, you don't pay for it, they charge the NHS. Their waiting list is about six months. If you are, the one thing I am telling everyone now, do not get a private diagnosis if you can. They're, they're just not worth the paper they're written on these days. Not because the diagnoses are any different, GPs are now deciding not to recognize them. 
So I know lots of people that are getting private diagnosis, go to the GP and say, oh, so we call it uh, shared care. Uh, so it's where you get private diagnosis and then the GP decides to share that care. So they will then provide the prescriptions. Most GPs now are not agreeing to do that with private diagnoses. So I know loads of people that spent three grand on private ones and the GP will not prescribe. So then a private di- a private uh, prescription can be up to £200 per prescription. Where my NHS one, that cost me, what, £9? Um, so yeah. Psychiatry UK, if you're an adult, go through that. It's only available in the UK, 18 plus. It's a free service um, and it's six months wait. So uh, I would definitely, and there's loads of videos on TikTok, YouTube about Psychiatry UK. Message me if you want more information. Uh, I know friends and family that have gone through them. Uh, So yeah, don't be put off by the NHS waiting list. So in Bristol, our waiting list in NHS is five to 10 years. Yeah, massive. It's bonkers. So, yeah, there are other options available uh, that are free as well. Happy days. Much appreciated for sharing. Um, Again, that'll be in the show notes. Those of you that listened, hopefully you got something from this, something positive, a little bit of an insight into terms of the life of a person with ADHD and what it looks like. Sometimes it's easy to forget that even though a person can be functioning at a high level, it seems like they've got all their ducks in a row and everything is sound. But like Jacob said, he needs a release. And sometimes we don't acknowledge those releases as just that, a release. He seems to be releasing in a healthy way. And because he's open about his condition, people understand what he's doing, why he's doing and take it no further than that. My question then is to you as a listener, are you making people aware of why you do what you do so that they understand you a little bit better? Please don't be keeping things to yourself. Don't get it wrong. Don't share everything with everybody because not everyone's on your side like that. But try to be a little bit more open so that people understand you better and do not misunderstand you. But I say all this to say that nothing about a caterpillar. Tell you it's going to be a butterfly. And I hope you look after yourself until the next episode. Take care.